Welcome to this week's podcast of Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. Hey, good morning. What a beautiful day. Yeah, so if you can go, there's tables out there that have different roles that we can play if you're available uh, during that. And if you're not, maybe make yourself available. How's that? We'd love to have your support as our team takes risks to put on programs like this. It, it can be kind of frightening to start something like that and, and to put it on and not know if we're going to have the kind of support. So if you guys could let them know early on, I know that gives them a lot more courage to walk into that week and know that uh, they're going to have the support that's there. Hey, let me share something that's coming out today at noon, and it has nothing to do with Super Bowl. There, someone say Good. <laughs> All right. There's an email coming out. How excited are you guys about emails? You love emails. Everybody loves emails. Yay, you can't wait. Uh, Can you put up that picture of our values? We've been talking at Bergen Park Church about our values. Here it comes. It's going to come up on the screen in just a moment. There it is, anticipation. And we have five different values that are important to us at the church. And we want to get your feedback on how we're doing with these values. What ways are we engaging well? What do you think about these values? How do you want to engage in them? So there's going to be a survey that's coming out today uh, at noon. And if you would fill that out and give us your feedback, it helps us to understand how do we engage you better? What are you hearing from us? And then what are the ways that we need to change as a church that together we're following Christ in ways that make him known and, and engage us as a community? So at noon, that's coming out today. All right, so here we are. We're going to be in John chapter 13, and I want to pause because this is a very, very familiar passage if you've been in church for a long time. If you haven't been in church for a long time, I'm so glad you're here that you get to walk through something really familiar for a lot of folks. But when you jump into a passage that's familiar, I think we assume we know what it's about before we really get into it, and so I want us to kind of set aside as much as we can our preconceived notions about what does it mean for Jesus to wash the disciples' feet. That's the story we're going to look at. And often what it, the way that it's applied is about leadership. And you may have heard this, and that's not a bad application, that we need to engage in ways as leaders in the world that serves others, that puts the needs of others ahead of ourselves. And that's a great, a great message. But I think what we're going to see as we read this, this passage is it's not first and foremost about leadership. Rather, it's, it's a message about identity. How do you see yourself is going to impact the way you show up in the world. The way you view yourself, the importance that you have, the way you value yourself is going to influence the way you show up for others, the way you engage the people around you, whether they agree with you or disagree you, the way that you see yourself is the way you show up. And what I want to notice is the way that Jesus sees himself versus the way that Peter sees himself. Because Jesus is going to try to wash Peter's feet, and he's like, no, I don't want nothing to do with this. But it had less to do with what Jesus was doing, and what we're going to find out had more to do with what Jesus was doing says about what Peter needs. And he doesn't want to acknowledge what he needs, because he wants to see himself as successful, as powerful, as significant. And Jesus has no problem humiliating himself if that means he brings love to others. Because his identity is not wrapped up in what you think the world thinks. His identity is wrapped up in what the Father thinks. And so we're going through this series called Formed. 
And the idea of this series is the goal of the Christian life is not a destination. The goal of the Christian life is a relationship with God, which means a new way of life. That God hasn't called us just to get to some place when we die. Rather, God has called us to get to some place today, which is a fullness of life with God today, loving God and learning to love others as we walk together in community. So let's jump into it. You guys ready? Okay, I hope so. Thanks, Kent. Kent's ready, evidently. Uh, John chapter 13. We're going to pick it up in verses 1 to 17. John chapter 13, verse 1. The word of the Lord. Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And so during supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he'd come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking on a towel, he tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. And then he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you want to wash my feet? And Jesus answered, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. And that's why he said, not all of you are clean. Now, when he had washed their feet and, and put on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for that's who I am. And if I then, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. This is the word of the Lord. All thanks be to God. Hey, would you pray for me? Let me pray for you. Father, just thank you. Thank you that we get to be together. Father, thank you that so many of us may not know each other, but we know you. And because we have that common connection with you, you call us the family of God. And Father, would you show us what it looks like to live as family towards those around us and also to treat strangers as neighbors and neighbors already as a part of the family of God. Father, we want to represent you. Would you open our hearts and would you help us to see what you desire for us to see in Jesus' name? Amen. So what motivates, what motivates Jesus to do what he does? Because you notice Peter's reaction. He feels very uncomfortable. There is no way you're touching my feet, Jesus. The question is, what's behind that? And what draws Jesus to do what none of the disciples will do? 
Because none of the disciples are going to get up and wash feet. What is it about Jesus that allows him, you could say, to humiliate himself, to diminish himself, when all the disciples who know Jesus is the Lord and the Master, they're not going to go out there and take that kind of initiative, but Jesus sees this need, and he's willing to do what in his own culture would be seen as humiliating. Why would he do that? Well, if you look at verse 1, one of the things that drives Jesus is the love of God. That's where it starts. In verse 1, watch what it says. It says, now, before the feast of Passover, so let's get a timeline together. Jesus enters into Jerusalem on a Sunday. It's called Palm Sunday. And now it's Thursday night, so from Sunday to Thursday, it's now the Passover. And the Passover happened to be the night before Jesus, or the night Jesus was betrayed, the night before Jesus was crucified. And they're gathered together in this upper room, celebrating the Passover together. And Jesus, it says... Jesus knew his hour had come. Now, in John's gospel, the word hour means his crucifixion. Everything in the gospel of John is leading up to the hour that Jesus will self-sacrificially give himself for the benefit of others. And he's saying it's the Passover, the hour of his sacrifice has come. And he, it goes on and says he had, depart, he had come to depart out of this world I just lost my place. When Jesus knew that his hour had come, there it is, to depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And so what's going to follow is an example of the way that Jesus expresses the love of God. How does the love of God show up in a world that's going to reject him, abandon him, mock him, and crucify him? Well, what you notice is in, in John 13, it starts with the love of God, but if you jump down to the end in verse 34, it also ends with the love of God. In verse 34, it says, a new commandment I give you, that you are to love one another, and here's the key phrase, just as I have loved you. And if you go back to verse 15, you find that Jesus says the same thing, that just as I have served you, I want you to serve others, and just as I have loved you, I want you to love others, meaning I want you to show up in the world the way that I showed up in the world. To be a disciple means we show up in the world to do for others what Jesus has done for us, and we do it out of what Jesus has done for us. That we have to experience his love before we can give his love. We've got to experience him sacrificing for us so that we can sacrifice for others, and what compels Jesus to serve us is his love for God. He is overwhelmed with the love of God. Now, second, we're going to discover it's not just the love of God, it's his identity. He knows who he is, and he's confident in who he is, and it doesn't matter what others think about him. Watch this in verse 3. Here's the second thing that drives him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from God and was going back to God. That before Jesus washes the disciples' feet, John wants us to recognize Jesus knows who he is. As he comes into a world, realize Jesus is not going to live up to a lot of the expectations of others. His own family said he's out of his mind. His disciples had a vision for who he was supposed to be, and Jesus never lived up to that. Jesus did not live up to the expectations of others, but their disappointment did not change who he was. It didn't influence the way that he showed up in the world. He was confident in his identity. And it didn't matter what others thought. Jesus knew who he was. So let's back up and understand the context of 
of the washing of the disciples' feet. What's the story about? Well, again, it's taking place on the night of Passover, and Passover was the biggest celebration for the Jewish people. And if you remember the story of Passover, it was about the story of the Israelites leaving out of Egypt, and God rescued them through the sacrifice of a lamb. And every, once a year, they'd gather together, put on your best clothes, kind of like Easter morning, clean up, get, get dressed, go out together, celebrate the Passover meal, and that's what's taking place. And Jesus had rented a room because he's a wanted man, and his disciples are gathered together celebrating the Passover with each other. And if you know anything about the first century world, they did not have paved roads. They didn't have asphalt, so they would walk on pretty nasty streets. They didn't have trash pickup. They didn't have sewage. So anything that you threw away, anything that happened to fall out of an animal would be on the street. And you have your sandals, you have your feet, you have trash, you have sewage all across the street. And your feet would obviously be pretty, it'd be nasty, right? Open-toed sandals, dirty climate, dry, nasty, disgusting. And when you walked into a home, there were certain customs. One of the customs is you'd be kissed on the cheek. It still happens today. What they'd also do is they'd anoint your head because most people stunk. And if you wanted to eat together, you didn't want to smell that, so they would anoint you. And the last thing they would do is offer to wash your feet. Because if you're going to sit around a table together and my feet are right next to your head and your feet are right next to my head, I don't want to smell that. I don't want to be next to that. We want to eat in a clean way. And so what would happen is a servant would come and actually wash your feet. Now, that service servant couldn't be Jewish because that was against the clean laws of the Old Testament. Israel had to be set apart for God. And one of the ways they did that was they didn't touch unclean things. And so a servant would wash your feet, but it was a servant who was the lowest within the household. And so when the disciples come into this upper room, everybody knows what's expected. The kisses were given. Maybe there was a little oil anointed on the head, and everyone's wondering who's going to get down and wash the feet. One, two, three. Not it. Not me. I'm not doing that. I'm not going to humiliate myself in that way. I'm not going to lower myself to wash feet because that is the lowest expression of service. And if I did that, what would that say about me? What would that say about my importance, my significance, my role in the world? What does it say about me? Now, what's interesting is Luke's gospel gives us a little window into the story that's playing out in the disciples' mind. In Luke chapter 22, on the same day that Jesus washes the disciples' feet, the disciples are having a bit of an argument. And here's the context of that story. Luke chapter 22, verse 24. It says, a dispute rose among them as to who was gonna be the greatest. As Jesus is preparing to die on a cross, as Jesus is preparing to give his life away, the disciples are looking for a promotion. Isn't this going to be great? Jesus is going to rise up on a throne. This is the end of his life. He knows, they know that he's going away. The question is, who's going to be his CEO? CFO, COO, whatever O's you got. Who's going to stand in that place of honor? Who's going to be the person that's going to carry this on? Because listen, guys, we got a movement started. Did you see what happened when Jesus came into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday? Did you see the crowds? Guys, we're heroes. We're kind of a big deal. 
There were hundreds, thousands of people crying, Hosanna, Hosanna, Jesus is legit, he's the king, he's coming to establish the kingdom of God. I gotta stand in a place that's respectable, honorable, powerful. If I'm gonna lead this thing, I gotta look like a leader. I gotta look significant. And the one thing that's gonna cut you out of first place in leadership is getting down and taking the lowest position as a servant. None of them are willing to do that because all of them are concerned about what the world thinks. They're concerned about their own evaluation. They're concerned about looking strong, seeming powerful. None of them will sit, will sit down and actually take on the role of the servant. And as that conversation is taking place, notice what happens in verse 4. And this is the first time I've noticed this. It says, and he rose from supper. So how long were they in that room, sitting side by side with nasty, poop-covered feet? I don't know. It seems like it went on for a while. Almost as if Jesus is lingering there wondering, when are you going to realize what's needed? And at the end, in verse 4, it says, He laid his, outside his outer garment. He took off his tunic, and taking a towel, he's tying it now around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel. What was that moment like? You all know what's necessary. Jesus gets up, and you assume he's heading off to the bathroom, and instead he grabs a towel ties it around his waist, brings over a bowl to you, sits down in front of you and begins to wash your feet. What does that say about Jesus? Jesus does what everyone avoids. Jesus is diminished. Jesus looks weak, certainly in the eyes of culture. And in the eyes of the disciples, he's doing the one thing that's gonna take them out of the running of being the CEO, being the leader of this group. Jesus is willing to diminish himself. And you get that reaction in verse six because he comes to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, you're gonna wash my feet? You're the Messiah. You're the king. Greatness is not expressed through humility and through service. We're ready to sit in a place of honor. How is Jesus able to do what the disciples are not? And the answer is that Jesus has an identity that sets him free from the expectations of the world. Jesus has an identity that comes from the Father. And so it doesn't matter what the world thinks. It doesn't matter what the disciples think. It doesn't even matter, in a sense, what Jesus thinks. He's able to engage in the world because his identity is secure. He has come from the Father. He's going to the Father Jesus knows who he is. He understands why he has come. And his sense of identity doesn't come from his community. It doesn't come from the Pharisees who despised him. It doesn't come from the people around him. He's so established in the Father, he's able to show up in the world in ways that would shock us. He's able to show up in ways that allows him to be humiliated to express the love of God. Jesus was not enticed or deceived by the voices of the world. One of my favorite authors is a man named Henry Nouwen, and he captures this well. He said it this way. In the world, there are many other voices speaking loudly. Prove that you're beloved. 
Prove you're worth something. Prove that you have a contribution to make. Do something relevant. Be sure to make a name for yourself. At least have some power. Then people will love you. Then people will say, you're wonderful. You're great. We live in a world filled with voices. And can we be honest? I think those voices impact us. This is what a man looks like. This is what a woman is like. This is what power is like. This is how you get things done in the world. And I think those messages are compelling. And sometimes we can show up in the world in ways that reflect what the world values. But it doesn't reflect what God values. Do we operate in the world in a way that says we know the Father? Or do we do things that honor the Father in a way that really just honors the world? Jesus knew who he was. He knew his identity. Jesus came to serve us. And he served us from the heart of God. That's the first idea that we see now. I want to look deeper into Peter's reaction. Because in this passage, I want you to notice, nobody celebrates what Jesus does. Because we talk about servant leadership. But there's some honor in that. If I, start, if I go outside and start shoveling the walkway, I think many of you would probably say, what a great guy. Isn't that awesome? That's our pastor, right? Always out there serving. But you notice that nobody celebrates what Jesus does. No one looks at what he's doing and says, isn't that great? I just love the humility of Jesus. No, they're offended. The question is, why are they offended? And I don't think it's because of what it says about Jesus. I think Peter's offended because of what it says about him. If this is the kind of Messiah I follow, what does that say about who I am? Again, remember, what they're arguing about is who's the greatest. Who's the most powerful? Who's the most successful Well, getting down on your knees and serving someone is not the path to greatness. And so watch what happens in verse 6. And he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you want to wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I'm doing to you, you do not understand, but afterwards you will understand. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, if I do not wash you, you have no share in me. Now, we have to realize that Peter's relationship to Jesus was that of a disciple to a rabbi. And that relationship in the first century was significant. And you wanted to be with a rabbi who was brilliant and powerful and influential. Now, why? Because that would mean you were brilliant and you're powerful and you're influential. You wanted to be associated with someone who was great so that people would assume, well, you must be as great as the rabbi that you follow. And think back to the story of Peter. Three years from this this time period, he was invited to follow Jesus. Jesus said, hey, come follow me. Peter, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And right before he does that, there's this miraculous catch of fish. And do you remember what Peter does after that happens? This huge miracle takes place. Peter falls down at Jesus' feet. He's never seen that kind of power and authority in his life. He's never seen someone with the charisma and the presence of Jesus. And he falls at his feet and says, listen, I'm not worthy, right? I'm not worthy to be associated with you, you, to be with you. He humbles himself. And Jesus invites him to follow him. And I imagine Peter felt pretty good at that point. Because Jesus' popularity from that point on just begins to rise. He gathers thousands on a hillside. They're listening to him. He he feeds the 5,000. He heals the lepers. He heals the sick. He's known to be the king, the Messiah. Peter's thinking, you know, my place in the world is just getting better and better and better because I am associated with Jesus. I am, I'm significant. Jesus walked in a power and authority that Peter 
had never seen. And the disciples must have felt good. They're expecting Jesus to sit on the throne and Peter's identity is wrapped up in Jesus. And here's the question. And here's the issue. I think Peter has this identity crisis. Because his vision of greatness and Jesus' vision of greatness are colliding. Peter's been dreaming about sitting at Jesus' left and right hand, but Peter did not think that the path that Jesus was on was a path of service. See, I think Peter wants Jesus to be celebrated and honored because Peter wants to be celebrated and honored. He wants the culture to value Jesus. And I, th- I wonder if in the same way, the way that we engage in the world is less about the honor of Jesus and it's more about our honor. It's more about the way people, we want our Jesus to be valued in our culture and so we'll do whatever is necessary because we want to be valued. We want our culture to value Jesus, but we don't necessarily want to do things in the way that Jesus has called us to do them. Are you with me on that? We want our culture to see the significance of Christ because we want to feel that. We want to feel honored. We don't want to take the path that Jesus is called to because in the world, it looks really weak. How vulnerable, how much, people can take advantage of somebody who's at your feet washing them. Someone who sacrifices for you. The place of Jesus is a place of vulnerability, but we don't want to show up in the world that way. Why? Because they'll take advantage of us. And sometimes the way that we'll try to honor the things of God is by doing things through the means of the world instead of representing our king who is willing to humble himself to serve others. Peter wants Jesus celebrated so that Peter could be celebrated. Watch this in verse 10. And Jesus said to him, the one who has taken a bath does not need to be washed except for his feet, but is completely clean. And he says, you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. And that's why he said, not all of you are clean. St. Peter, to be a part of me, I need to have all of you. I need to have the way you see yourself, the way the world sees you. I need need you to give yourself to me. Because see, the path of greatness in the kingdom of God is not up, but rather the way up is by going down. And Jesus says this often. We see this throughout the New Testament. Luke chapter 14, verse 11. He says, for whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Mark 9, 35. He sat down and called the 12, and he said to them, if anyone wants to be first, he must be last and a servant of all. Matthew 23, the greatest among you shall be your servant. Luke 22, and he said to them, the kings, the Gentiles, they exercise authority over them. Uh, They lord it over them, and those in authority are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greatest, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table, but I am the one, uh, I'm among you as the one who serves? Are you okay with a Jesus who's not admired by the world? Are we okay with a Christianity that isn't honored in our culture? You know, in verse 12, we see this example of sacrifice. It says, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I've done for you? 
Again, you call me teacher, and that means rabbi and Lord. And you were right, for so I am. Then if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do, notice those words, just as I have done for you. Truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Jesus is calling us to a new way of life. A new way of life that flows out of an identity that comes from the Father and that evaluates the voices the world is giving us. Do you see that picture? You know, early on in my uh, ministry at my previous church, I had a friend that came up to me. And I remember this conversation because it was one of those, ow, but it was a good ow, because he saw me. And we were praying together. We'd get together as, as leaders and talk and, and pray together. And he said to me one day, he goes, you know, Jason, I love being with you, but what I find is you don't share a lot about yourself. You don't ask for prayer. You really don't share what's going on in your life. And I'm just curious about that. What's, what's going on with you? Now, I'd never realized that about myself at that time. I didn't have a great deal of self-awareness. But as I started to think about the reason he was saying that, is I thought if I started sharing about my needs, if I came up front and asked to be prayed for, people might think there's something wrong with me. They might actually think that I'm needy. And I don't want to be seen as needy. I don't want to be seen as weak. I don't want to be viewed as a servant. And that my vision of myself was actually keeping me from things that God desperately wanted for me because I was more concerned about what people would think about me than what God wanted for me. And it was keeping me from experiencing God's fullness and his power in my life. And I wonder how often that's the case, that many of us know we need to be baptized, right? That's kind of awkward, isn't it? Can we be honest about that? Coming up front, getting in the water, saying, I'm going to profess I'm 50 years old. There's no reason I should do that now. But what's driving us is a fear of what others would think instead of a humility that's willing to say, I want to live out of the identity of who Christ is. Some of us are afraid to ask questions because we think I've been in the church long enough, I should know the answer. And that pride keeps us from something greater. What, what is our view of ourselves keeping us from? How is it keeping us from really experiencing the fullness of what God wants for us? 1 Corinthians 4, 3, I love this picture that Paul gives us. And notice the way he describes himself. Paul says, I care very little if I'm judged by you or any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't mean I'm okay. You notice what he's saying? I'm not worried about what you think. This is a beautiful place to get to, guys. I don't know how to get there, but I'm trying to get there. I'm not worried about what you think, but realize I'm not even worried about what I think. And my conscience right now is saying everything's good, but that doesn't mean I'm okay. Why? I care about what the Lord thinks. And here's what I'm saying. I think we're so unaware of the way the voices of the world impact us and what they're saying to us, that we show up in the world in ways to honor Jesus, but we do it in a way that dishonors Christ because we don't show up as servants. Does that make sense? We want to honor the righteousness of God, but not by being righteous. 
We want the world to value our Jesus, but not by actually following Jesus. And there's this disconnect between the way we show up and what we want to represent because we're not willing to just say, Jesus, I need you. I want my identity to come from you. And then when as I go out into the world, and you gotta figure out how this works in the role that you play, whether it's in, in work or at home, in your marriage, in the community, you gotta find out how do I represent this, this way of being to the people around me. And then what are the voices, what are the messages that I'm receiving that are keeping me from experiencing the full power of God in my life because I'm more afraid of what others think than really living out of what the Father thinks. Does that make sense, guys? Are you with me on that? That's a struggle for me. And I find the church would be so much more set free to really live for Christ if we were able to identify the things that are influencing that we want our Jesus to look strong and great and powerful because we want to look strong and great and powerful. And Jesus has no problem humiliating himself because it's not humiliation to Jesus, it's love because he only cares about what the Father thinks. That's our God. And he wants us to go out and to share that same love and service with others. Hey, this morning we're gonna celebrate communion together. If you didn't grab the communion elements when you came in, no problem. This is an opportunity for us to do that. Those elements are available up front. They're also available in the back. And these, these elements, they represent Jesus' sacrifice for us. That the story of washing the disciples' feet is really the story of the cross. That through Jesus' sacrifice, he is what makes us clean. And Jesus was willing to humble himself because the love of God compelled him because he knew what we needed and he gave his life for his enemies so that we might have the fullness of God. So let's grab those elements together. We're gonna spend a time in prayer and then after we pray, we're gonna, we're gonna celebrate what God has done together.